0: Thanks for downloading this podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced, or used in any form without permission.
1: Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com.
0: Mobile One Radio Le Mans, 91.2 FM, energy to perform
2: kind of quite fitting that the last car I mentioned there was Car Guy Racing because they are in the Le Mans 24 hours this year courtesy of your championship and that's a major draw, is it not, for competitors to come and race with you because if you manage to win the championship you get a confirmed entry certainly in some of those classes
3: Yeah, you get a ticket to Le Mans and I'm I'm very glad that uh, we had that uh, Japanese addition to the to the field last year Um, they did very well uh, Kei Cozzolino, Takeshi Kimura, and uh, James Calado did a fantastic job. And they dreamt about doing Le Mans for a long time. It's very important for us, of course, to have uh, newcomers, uh, new Asian teams joining the field. And this is something which we are going to enjoy uh, for the 2019-2020 season again. Uh, we are seeing more Asian teams uh, in both uh, LMP and, and GT uh, getting interested in, um, in joining the Asian Le Mans. And, of course, um, amongst them, some are um, bigger goals. Uh, remember what uh, Clearwater did uh, three years ago when they, they joined Asian Le Mans in the first place. They, they won the class and they they went up the ladder uh, joining the WEC and um, that's exactly what we are here for, uh, to grow the um, the ACO entrance racing pyramid. And uh, Asian Le Mans is um, one of the... Uh, very important pillar of the ACO racing pyramid and uh, we're on a mission you know it's not uh, something that you do easily in a snap uh, it takes time uh, especially in that uh, big continent um, but uh, it's very challenging uh-huh. and it's very exciting because um, we are almost there with uh, regards to having Asian Le Mans reference endurance racing series in Asia and um, going back to square one, talking about Cargai, I mean, I know that uh, they are fully committed. They, of course, they have entered, uh, it's not a, a surprise because they have to, but they have entered the uh, Asian Le Mans for the coming season again uh, as the reigning champion. So they, they're going to fight again, uh, hopefully to come back in, in Le Mans next year. But yeah. Um, yeah, for a team, whatever, you come from Europe or Asia, when it's the first time you enjoy the Le Mans 24 hours, it's something that, uh, it's, a, it's a big achievement, you know, it's real big, it's oh, the big. race. I mean, yeah, yeah. Le Mans 24 is the biggest and the greatest endurance race in the world. So that's, uh, it means a lot for them. So I'm, I'm very happy because it's, again, it's very important that we keep attracting more Asian-based Teams uh, yeah. in the Asian Amor Series. Even if we have lots of Europeans and even drivers from the USA joining, um, it's, it's also because the um, the series itself it's attractive. Not only because of the uh, the calendar we have, but the, the venue we go to. And uh, last year, it was the first time that we went to four Grade One circuits. Not uh, only a very few. Uh, major series can enjoy going to grade one circuits only you know so that's something which is quite appealing in addition to the race format and and the calendar and uh, what we offer of course
2: so that was shanghai last november
3: first time in shanghai last season yes
2: then on to fuji the following month 9th of december
3: yeah just two weeks after yeah
2: yeah then a slightly longer break 12th of Jan to Buriram in Thailand which yeah, within the
3: context of the Children's Day which is, which is a national day in Thailand and okay. which brought as usual quite an impressive crowd there and um, it's a very nice event indeed and, and, and a grade one circuit in the middle of nowhere uh, which uh, hosted the first uh, MotoGP event in October last year it's uh, it's really growing you, you you can see you can you can tell all the efforts made by, by the local uh, when it comes to um, refurbishing developing the roads and uh, road signals everything everything uh, hotels are booming yes. blooming everywhere in, in Buriram and uh, more uh, flight connection between Bangkok and and Bururam. so it's uh, it's a great place to go and i mean it's the land of smile people are, are so nice so efficient so easy To deal with in Boram, it's always a a pleasure to go there. And, and of course, last round was uh, in Sepang, Malaysia, as usual. Yes. Yeah.
2: So the the calendar has been announced, been long announced for your new season. Yeah. Uh, Still going to be four races.
3: Still. So we're working on maybe one day... Well,
2: that, that was to be my question, actually, because I've been involved with the European Le Mans series for long enough to remember that was a series of five three-hour races, if you go back long enough. Then it became a season of five four-hour races, and now we're at the stage where we can have six four-hour races, and there's just been gradual expansion, U- gradual increase, and I think ELMS is now sort of where it wants to be doesn't want to do any more than six because we have Le Mans in June so there's no race really there and you run April to October your season's a very different dynamic because it's well in this part of the world it's a winter series however and we'll move on to this but you will be going to Australia in their summer effectively so you know you've got to think about uh, Southern Hemisphere as well but four races is the run at the moment do you think there may be room for expansion to five later down the line?
3: We have already, m- and many times, expressed the, um, the fact that we would like to expand from four to five events when the time is right and appropriate, meaning the teams are capable to afford the cost, and this is something we are going to um, to decide together with them. Yeah. It's um, it's something that we w- we would like to do for the 2020-2021 season. But it's all about cycles, you know. When we started um, ELMS, which at the time was called uh, Le Mans Endurance Series, LMES, 15 years ago, uh, we had six rounds of 1,000 km each. Yes. So, um, who knows? when uh, when we when After the ACO took over Asian Le Mans, the, the, the first race was held within the context of uh, the WEC uh, Fuji round. We were there as a support category, and we had the tour race and the, um, the other three rounds were three hours. Uh, two years ago, we did a six-hour race in Bururam as a try. Uh, we decided to uh, to keep the four-hour race uh, format for the following season, which will be the case again next year, and the coming season and probably next year. But um, yeah, um, one of the reasons, this is something we have explained um, in February in Sepang, one of the reasons we have decided to, um, to have these two back-to-back events uh, for the coming season, namely uh, Sepang and then Bururam, is yes. because uh, now we know that we can go from Malaysia to Thailand by the road Doing trucking. Yes um, If we move from four to five events These fifth events will be anyway very near from the previous venue because of the time it takes to ship container from a venue A to venue B uh, You don't do sea freight if you within that window of time we have, which is namely starting in November and uh, finishing at the end of February to make sure that everyone um, can come back to Europe on time for the uh, Paul Ricard prologue, etc. Et so this is, uh, of course, something we are um, working on. Um, we have two or three good options for the 2020 2021 calendar already. Uh, some of the venues have been confirmed. Now it's just a matter of knowing whether we can fit that fifth event or not, depending on what we are going to uh, to decide with the teams because it's, of course, very important for them to make sure that uh, they can afford it, you know.
2: I understand. We're chatting to Cyril Tashwarlan of the Asian Le Mans Series, managing director of the ALMS, and this is 91.2 FM, Mobile One Radio Le Mans. By the way, red flag period now over. We are back to green and... There are an hour and 50 minutes still to go of this morning session. So two hours, 11 minutes done... Two Toyotas, fastest. No improvement on times because cars are only just being released uh, from the pit lane. Um, you timed your visit to our booth perfectly because we went <laughs> straight, straight into a red flag and into a natural interval uh, in the session. So good chance to uh, to catch up with you. So calendar is out as we've mentioned. So Pang and Buriram them... will be will be just a week apart. Yes. But in January, a brand new track and actually a track that only opened last year. Correct. with a supercar race there I remember in the night uh, not in the night I beg your pardon, but it will be I think in the night this year yeah. for the supercars
3: last year yeah, yes. yeah last year so but
2: this is this is the bend
3: Thailand bend of Adelaide bend. 100 kilometers of Adelaide yeah. um, well this is something which for me and the whole Asian Le Mans team and the competitors as well is something which is going to be a great experience um it will be the first time in 20 years that there will be LMP cars racing in Australia. Wow. Um, the, the, the first time there will be a directly organised ACO event because 20 years ago it was the the race of a 1,000 years yes, organised yes, yes. by around Don Panos. It was the last round of the uh, 2000 American Le Mans Series season.
2: Yes, around uh, the streets of Adelaide.
3: Exactly. I do remember that, yeah. So um, it's... Um, it's great for us to go there and to uh, to bring LMP cars back in Australia after 20 years. It's the singus, second longest racetrack in the world, 7.7 kilometer. it's longer than Spa. So after Nürburgring it's the second longest uh, and it will be the first time this longest layout will be used by an international event. Yeah. Um the, the news has been very, very well welcomed by the uh, Australian uh, motorsports industry and fans. So we just can't wait to go there because it's going to be something very new for everyone. And uh, it's, I mean, Australia to me is part of this big, you know, geographical zone, Asia Pacific and knowing Motorsports in Australia. I mean, it's it's part of something you have to um, to enjoy. You, so you
2: can't ignore Australia.
3: No, you beginning. can't. You just can't. And uh, I'm, I'm super happy that we go there. Really, it's it's going to be an, an amazing event.
2: Yeah. So I, I bet you you really are looking forward to it. I was I was at earlier on this year the Adelaide Street Race, the first supercar event of the year, and you'll have to remind me of his name, but the guy who effectively owns the Bend runs the bend Sam Shaheen Sam Shaheen I had a really good chat with Sam and uh, he, he said you know you must come and see the track for real because it's amazing it that's is 7.7 k does out distance Spa we don't include this place in that measurement because it's not a permanent racetrack is it but of permanent racetracks around the world second longest as you say after the Nordschleifer so that's a he
3: brought me last time I, no first time I went there he brought me for a few laps around the 7.7 k yeah. layout yeah, yeah. It's really amazing.
2: Tricky to remember where you're going now, but it gets for that exactly. sort of distance.
3: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, we're going to have some extra session for sure because it will be brand new for everyone. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. No, no, it's. Um, we're really looking forward to it because. Uh, and I hope that we can go to Australia on a regular basis because. Uh, and, you know, the um, it's been an opportunity and really something rather easy to. Close. Opening the deal was uh, not that difficult, but closing deals, you know, it's sometimes more difficult yes, than yes. opening deals. And now uh, everybody's really looking forward to it. it's it, the, You must go there. Uh, my only advice for people who love Australia or love motor racing if you have any opportunity, go there. Oh. They have a hotel like uh, Nubergring they have a hotel at the track, but the rooms are just above the peak garages. Oh. They have a, mu- a museum. They have a restaurants. They have, uh, it's all integrated facility. I mean, it's and they are they keep developing the, the track. They, n- they have an off-road circuit. It's huge. The, it's a huge land, and um, it's very promising. So this is a great addition to the Le Mans series within the context of its constant growth, um, and um, yeah way we are also very much looking forward to enjoying the night race in Sepang, which is also something new to the calendar next year
2: mm-hmm. well this all uh, maintains the growth i suppose but growth in in interest in the championship because you're looking to build fans aren't you and, yeah. and whether that be fans at the track or able to watch it at home if they can't travel it may be in some cases a great distance to get to Asia, but you can... Across the
3: world on TV or indeed. on a smartphone and or that, laptop, that's, because... That's
2: sometimes the way that people watch races these days is it's either they can watch them in real time as they happen or on demand at a later yeah. point. Uh, so I'm sure, you know, fan engagement, whether that be in person or via the streaming is very important to the championship.
3: Yeah, and this has been a major step in the growth of Asian Le Mans because when we two years ago started to do qualifying in the race uh, live and for free Uh everywhere in the world, Yes, we grabbed a massive audience, and last year, last season, figures are just amazing because not not talking about the footprint and the potential figures, you know, but the real spectators. I mean, um, and especially in China, that's why it's very important to to have a few words about the fact that we went to uh, Shanghai for the first time last season. Of course, Grade One circuit, Formula moment circuit, uh, within the context of a CTCC event, which is one of one of the major championships in China nowadays, bringing a big crowd getting people used to LMP cars and endurance racing and how we do things and um, the um, the audience the live streaming audience in China has been great it's uh, really booming social media in China are growing as well for Asian Le Mans and um, this is very important because we are engaging uh, with a, an Asian fan base uh, more and more and um, the It's thanks to, uh, of course, the great work of EPM TV in charge of TV production of uh, of the Asian Amor Series, but uh, our media staff, you know. um, We have a great team and uh, what we have achieved last last season is very, very promising. Uh, So, you know, step by step, we have to keep a very low profile. Um, We, so far, we couldn't extend from four to five events, as I mentioned previously, but uh, we bring... New things to the championship, like going to Australia or having a night race in Sepang, Um, because we need that. You know, from time to time, that kind of change and news and improvements uh, somehow. So it's um, it's looking rather promising, and for for the coming season, it's uh, I would say even better because um, we already have more cars entered for the coming season that we had uh, last year Mm.
2: shanghai um, last year was just a week after the world endurance championship round yes i believe there's now there's two weeks this year is that going to affect things necessarily? Because I know for lots of friends in the media centre here found that actually doing the World Endurance Championship, then having a bit of time off in the week to visit Shanghai and coming back again, you know, less travel. Um, it's still only two weeks, so you could have a nice long time in Shanghai. But is that deliberate
3: in terms oh, of calendar?
2: Oh, in, in terms no, of calendar, it, calendar design, I wanted to be this close to the WEC. This
3: or? one, this one's very easy. Yeah. Uh, Sometimes people ask me why we don't race together with the WEC.
2: As a support race, okay. Yeah,
3: the the thing is that we need pit garages. Yes. Um, Given that we are establishing Asian Le Mans as the reference endurance racing series in Asia, our competitors, our customers are expecting to get pit garages and you have this and track time. Yes. When you take the WEC track time into account and their regular Shanghai support categories, there's just no room for Asian Le Mans to fit in. Um, But the fact that we were just a a week apart last year was because WEC had no choice, I think, than uh, to get that date, which was actually clashing with Macau Grand Prix, which is something that, as the Asian Le Mans promoter, I can't do. So that's why uh, we have decided to keep the same date as last year. And, uh, and not clashing with Macau, which is something that we, um, we will never do. And uh, you, you have to protect, you know, it, that's the tricky part of having to deal with a calendar within that close or tiny window. You have to deal with and uh, not clashing with, of course, Christmas and uh, New Year. And uh, you have the Bathurst 12 and you have Macau. And then you have Chinese New Year, which dates move back and forth for 10 days every year. Right. So this is a, a bit of a challenge. So not the reason for last year, calendar was very easy. Um, they were clashing with Macau. They are not going to clash with Macau this year. So, they hence the um, the fortnight between the two events.
2: Yes, I understand. So that that basically creates the window for the Macau Grand Prix for GT or for single-seaters, whichever your drivers yeah. are involved in. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Excellent.
3: You just can't clash with Macau GP. No, it doesn't like make that. any sense.
2: Indeed. I mean, that that's, uh, is, 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 a, is a world-renowned event, but it would be great if you could sort of occupy just the weekend after, because it means that drivers are in that part of the world, potentially, and can skip, from, well, if, if necessary, from WEC this year to Macau and then to the Asian Le Mans. Yeah, of course. So that would course. be perfect, wouldn't it? Um, and the grid continues to grow, I believe. I mean, how are we looking for entries? Because entries opened last week for the new season?
3: Yes, and as I told you, um, we... To date, we have more cars entered than we had last year already? at the same time okay. already. Um, but again, we need to keep a very low profile and uh, deal with things a step, one step at a time. We are, of course, aiming, aiming at doing bigger and better than last year in terms of number and quality. But... Um, Yes, I think that uh, there is uh, a good opportunity for us to grow uh, a bigger grid. And especially knowing that those who have entered are newcomers. Yes. Or, uh, and I'm not even talking about the, the regular Asian Lemon teams and, and those who have already public, publicly expressed uh, an interest in entering the, uh, the Asian Lemon series for the first time, the likes of RLM Motorsports, uh, Carlin. Uh, Lanan etc so it's the potential is there and it's looking very promising so I'm I'm not in a position today to start you know enjoying uh, potential figures <laughs> maybe may, maybe in 10 days uh, during the the Le Mans 24 week we, we can disclose more information and, and, and announce a first batch of, uh, of teams uh, that have entered. The reason why we are not going to talk about them specifically today is because we need to align with them in terms of their communication. But I can tell you officially that we, we have already um, uh, much more cars entered than last year at the same time.
2: Because, mm. I mean, many people are looking forward to perhaps something new about the World Endurance Championship and which direction we're going to be going in that in after 1920 so that will be the 2021 season and i'm sure waiting for an announcement sometime during le mans week about the next step of the wec so you think you might have something regarding the asian le mans series maybe around le mans thursday friday of that week regarding how you're looking for the new season because everyone looks for a you know a nice press release from le mans week about the future do yeah. so you think maybe that timing would be right for you?
3: Yeah, I think. that we, I'm not, I'm we, not
2: looking to you, for you to commit to anything.
3: No, no, I'm not going to. I'm not going to commit to anything. But we are planning to make uh, a first announcement with regards to, uh, I mean, the first batch of entrants mm. during the Le Mans week. Oh, yeah. cool. good. Of course. Well, that's
2: that's something for all, for us all to look forward to.
3: And uh, yeah, and with, I I, I think including very good surprises. Excellent. And the good thing is that we have a potential of attracting new Asian-based teams, which is something which is very, very important.
2: That, that must be one of your priorities, is to, is, is to get the interest locally.
3: It is. And, we, and
2: I use local as a very wide term, because obviously we're talking about a continent here, but you know, this type of racing, I feel, needs to be worldwide, truly
3: worldwide. Exactly. That's why... We have to be very ambitious for the Asian Le Mans series. Um, but again, if at the same time it gives an opportunity for American teams or European teams to develop new business cases and to keep busy 12 months a year, why not? We're not going to stop them or preventing them to come. That's why we, we fight every year to uh, to align with the calendar, which fits. Um, but knowing that, of course, the the... I was talking about the, the mission. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. We have, but but yes, somehow it's it's a mission to keep developing the um, ACO racing uh, environment in Asia and bring more Asian teams to LMP cars, LMP racing, and that's why, for instance, the um, the 2020 and MP3 Cup Australia is something which is part of that global project, which is to really anchor LMP racing uh, in the continent.
2: Yeah. Has it been good to catch up so far with everyone else within the ACO this week? Because I, I don't know how many opportunities you get through the year f- to meet up with Pierre Fion and Gerard Neveu and others, just to have, just to have what? a coffee and a catch up and sit down and.
3: I haven't seen them today. Okay. But uh, I see Pierre Fion on a very regular basis anyway. Yeah. Uh, I'm in Asia 100, 140 40 days a year. Okay. So I'm I'm in Europe quite a lot anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and we work very close with Pierre, and Pierre supports uh, the Age project and, and growth 100%. It's, I mean, it's tr- strategic. I mean, you can't ignore uh, this market uh, and China and the, the potential ahead of us. It's um, China is a, is a country with 1.5 billion inhabitants and 400 million drivers for only 20,000 people having a racing license. Wow. 1.5 billion inhabitants, 20,000 20, driver license, license okay. for racing. So it's, the potential is absolutely huge, absolutely huge. So that's why we have to be there and keep growing the, uh, the Asia Le Mans and yeah, I can't wait for the Le Mans week. To Indeed, be, to be hopefully able to make some further announcements. Fabulous!
2: <laughs> well, we look forward to
3: them. But come to Australia. I mean, you can't miss this. I mean, it's uh, and another night race in Sepang. This is something which is uh, also brand new for Asian Le Mans, yes. And which is part of the uh, the attractiveness of next year's calendar. You know, even with four rounds, we have things that um, that are very appealing, I, I to my opinion.
2: Yeah, but it. it it's almost as if each race is unique within itself as well, and certainly a race on the lights where, I mean, I don't know how well floodlit Sepang is, the main straight is, but there'll be areas that are much darker than further around the it's,
3: back. It's very, very nice. It's not Singapore, uh, no. Yas Marina. But when it looks like want
2: it to be, because Le Mans has never been like that. You no? Know, there is true darkness out yes.
3: there. Which is part nice of to... the magic of the event. Huh? I think so. Don't get me wrong. I think... Uh, this is part of it, but um, no, Sepang. Now that they are they are equipped, it looks very nice.
2: Good.
3: It's going to be great.
2: I'm sure it is. Well, congratulations on all your work so far.
3: Thank you, Johnny, for having me. No,
2: no, no, and uh, absolute pleasure to me. To and meet hopefully you for next <laughs>
3: next week I can give you more details about uh, the the coming grid and uh, and the coming season. But yes, it's um, it's very challenging. Um, and we have, thanks to the uh, Jane Rowe and, and Jackie Warnock, working backstage, building all this engagement with social media, which is part of it. Every everyone in the team has this very important role to play. And when you when you consider when you look the the figures uh, we we had for last season, it's very very promising. So this is. And fans are pushing and growing behind us and and, and they like the series, you know, so it, it's something which is also fueling us and gi- giving us even more energy to keep fighting because this zone is so huge. I mean, when you go to uh, uh, from Kuala Lumpur to Tokyo, for instance, you fly seven hours.
2: Yeah, yes.
3: And you have to adapt. In in Europe, we we have forgotten how easy it is nowadays to travel and do trekking from Silverstone to Portimao in three days and one currency only, not in the UK, I'm sorry. Uh, But, you know, it's easy when when in Asia, when you you don't do trekking, you do sea freight and you need four weeks between two events and it's um, different systems, different level of motorsports development as well. So it's, um, and that's somehow part of the beauty of the challenge. It's um, it's a nice venture, very nice venture, you know. It's something which is um, we're all passionate about.
2: Challenging yet rewarding, I would guess. Just,
3: Correct. Yeah. Yes.
2: Good. Well, keep up the good work. We look forward very much to the new season, and uh, enjoy. So Le Mans. do we.
3: There, yeah, thank you. Of course, we will.
2: Cyril Tashwalan, uh, a guest here on Mobile One Radio, Le Mans, 91.2 FM, uh, the managing director of the Asian. Le Mans series. So, um, we have had, I've noticed, one or two local yellows lately, the latest of which in Zone 6 Marshall Post 21 that's going to be somewhere on the Mulsanne Strait and Joe Bradley obviously downstairs in the pit lane has been grabbing drivers where he can to uh, just get an indication of where we're up to in terms of adjusting setup. are teams still
4: doing that Joe? Well I just want to say that the rehearsals in rehearsals the red flag came out just after Cyril came into the box however we've refined it a day and that red flag came out just at the time that would give us the opportunity to have a long chat to Cyril the red flag, Johnny, was caused by the number 95 Aston Martin stopping out on track. That car's now being recovered and back in its garage, where the engineers are are now getting to grips with the problem. Initial thoughts are, as it's described, an electrical problem, and we all know what electrical problems and how they manifest themselves and they're, they're, they're now delving into what exactly is the problem with the 95 and work going on there, uh, as we can see. The 82 BMW, which had been in the, in the pit garage on the hijacks for a considerable amount of time, having some, what I could only speculate from what I could see happening, was some major setup work going on there. Um, the car now out on the track, and that car, um, as I said, was up on the hijacks for uh, about an hour, so a lot of work going on there so we are we've said this all morning Johnny the track's been coming for us I think the track's pretty much where it is Um, hard for me to judge just how hot track conditions are as the pit lane remains in the shade which is very pleasant just about 22 degrees in the shade however in the sunshine it's up to 31 degrees ambient so that tells me my opinion track temperature will be beyond 40 degrees, so we've got a very hot race track to play with ideal conditions for warm water racing and it's, it's getting better we're going to see those times coming down and, and just continuing to come down as yep. the teams get a grip with conditions here um, Any
2: drivers that you've bumped into recently with stories, or indeed any nearby for a, for a quick chat, because um, I've, I don't have a feeling that everyone's heard my voice uh, for a bit too long now, but
4: uh, if, well, they're, if, if they're all busy, then by all means just um, kick back. The, uh, the disadvantage of, uh, of, the, of the hot weather is not just me having a sweaty back, but it's also the drivers getting out of the cars and understandably you know, disappearing. Um, and, and, and also, drivers that aren't in the cars tend not to hang around in the hot conditions yes. and stay in the air conditioning. But i can going show you, as soon as I see one, I'm kind of like uh, one of those buzzards that you see in a Western film, waiting for for the carcass to die, back and bounce on it. Um, So that's what I'm doing at the moment. I'm just circling circling above the uh, the pit lane, waiting for a victim.
2: Excellent. Well, uh, keep up with that challenge. I'm pleased to say now that the the yellow flag has been withdrawn around uh, Marshall Post 21. So we're back to green flag running once again now around the whole of the track. We had a period of time where drivers were obviously limited to uh, 80 kilometres per hour. I think that was on the the run out of the kink and down towards Indianapolis uh, not too long ago. But uh, we're now back to green flag running everywhere. There are slow zones we will talk about during the race as well because that's a sort of rather than a full-course yellow. And I was sort of surprised that we did do full-course yellow earlier on with the whole track restricted to 80 Um Normally, when we get to the race, it'll just be a portion of the track, which is speed limited, whilst an incident is cleared. And now that uh, theoretical incident, or possibly a real incident, has now been removed, and cars can freely run down towards Indianapolis at race speed once again. Jose Maria Lopez uh, in the number seven car is back at the wheel, and that car is still the quickest. 322.0 the time then from the fastest Toyota. Second quickest is uh, Fernando Alonso in the other Toyota, car number eight, and that car is back out again. 1.2 seconds the gap between those two Toyotas. Sergei Sorotkin in the number 17 SMP Racing uh, BR1 in third position and Neil Jarny in fourth place in the number one car and 48's back on the move Joe this is slow car coming down pit road which uh, you might be able to talk about for a little while that's Jordan King isn't it so Joe um, he's coming towards me now Johnny he's being
4: pushed by its crew
2: so would you, would it, you it, talk about that car for about sort of ninety seconds, whilst I do something else? Yeah, of course. Excellent. Because um, I think this is the car that brought, potentially brought out the red flag. So I'm just interested in seeing whether there's any damage on it. I'm uh, not sure, Johnny. I
4: think the uh, I've been told the Aston Martin 90, uh, 95 car was the car that brought out the red flag, and it's been um, this car might have just run out of fuel. It's scrutineering as we come into pit lane. Um, just looking at the car now it's the 37 that's the Jackie Chan Racing Orica Gibson David Annamaya Hansen, Jordan King and Ricky Taylor, Jordan King at the wheel Johnny tells me there is nothing wrong visually with the car It's been currently on the dolly jacks being wheeled up the pit lane by four members of the Jackie Chan Racing crew and a flag marshal walking behind with the yellow flag to alert any coming into the pits that this car is there and doing a very slow pace it's uh, showing signs of a a harmless off in the gravel with signs of gravel on the tyres and a little bit in the sideboard Ah, it's a driverless car as it was brought in team going to work now the obligatory laptop just being put in by the Gibson engine engineer his job is to look after solely look after the uh, the workings of the engine he plugs his uh, laptop in there he'll be seeing downloading some data as to how the engine has fared in that last stint. still no clue i'm certainly not going to step in there and start asking questions um, no. no no that would be unfair yeah yeah they they're, they're very busy the engine cover has come off so Again, I'm only sort of speculating off uh, body language and clues. Um, Paul Willard, chief mechanic on this number 37 car, Paul, Paul worked for me on my touring car exploits with Robertshaw Racing. Oh, is that right? Yeah, he was uh, one of my main mechanics. Very, very good lad, and he's worked his way up and now number one on the number 37. So he's a very able guy. Very able. Uh, was that really 10 lad. years ago, Joe? 2007 and 8, mate. So, and a little bit of 9. Oh, yeah, a little so, bit of 9. That's yeah, where I got so, the 10 years to yeah, go ten, from. 10 am I'm just, just going to say it was 10 years ago for the next yeah. 25 years to yeah, be. Yeah, honest, just keep it at that. Because it's like going to be scary when I start saying that was 30 years ago. Because it feels like a fortnight ago, to be honest. I'm sure. The uh, the life experience that we all accrue. Um, I think it might be. We mentioned electrical problems. Now, that. That means a lot of things. I think it might be. Oh, I can't. You know what? I'm going to be I'm going to be a little bit rude. And sneak round the other side. See if I can see what uh, people are tugging on in that engine bit. Gear linkage or something, or a uh, gear mechanism, gear changing mechanism. Can't see past all the bodies around there. I'll I'll get a word with Paul and find out exactly what the issue is that's halted the 37. All right. But uh, never good to see. I, I I was on my way down to Pit Inn, which I've kind of neglected so far this morning. And Pit Inn is the is uh, is the is the real estate of uh, Toyota and uh, United Autosport down at that end. So I'll, I'll make my way down there when I can. The Fords have been having some work done on them. Oh, yes. Pretty much every single one of them been in, again, set of changes. Significant set of changes. So, maybe to as far as camber and the like being changed on these cars
2: so this is setup change that obviously has to be done in the garage to enable enough personnel to to, to do the work and are they actually having to take uh, body panels off to get to yeah, camera yeah, settings again yeah, yeah. yeah. so a significant Ford,
4: set of certainly on the 4GT the whole body work the rear bodywork comes off and the front bodywork comes off to expose all four corners right the 68 right. car, cars doors don't car's door wasn't shut there as it pulled off and uh, one of the mechanics dashed out and basically punched the door but I'm afraid it looked as it went past me as though that door didn't quite catch so we might see the 68 back in for a floppy door let's see how well it does at 190 miles an hour on the Mulzan, and see if that door remains shut, it might even blow itself shut, I don't think it will though I think we'll see that 68 in so yes you can tell when it's having when the car's having extensive setup changes, rather than just tyre tire presses in the light, the car's come into the garage, all the bodywork's removed and then it exposes all four corners of the car so they can actually get in, roll bars, damper settings, it's all pretty uh, accessible once we've done that.
2: They're, they're quite snazzy doors, the ones on the Ford, aren't they? Are they, are they butterfly? Doors in that they're hinged on the sort of top of the A pillar and they come out and up at the same time, like a like yes, bird yes. like, rather yeah, than yeah. for instance the BMW M8 or the Aston, which I think are just more conventional, That's right, hinged yeah. all the way down the A pillar. Yeah,
4: it's going to flap rather than open, it's not going to come open. If you, yeah. you know,
2: I mean, down the gonna... Mulsanne, I would imagine actually the air pressure will keep it closed, but it's then when it breaks in Mulsanne Corner that the door could potentially come back up again
4: I think it's kind of hard to, to do I think there'll be a sort of an airflow resonance across the car we'll wait and yeah, see it might, it might prove us all wrong I'll tell, you what else, I'll tell you what else we're getting into Johnny we're, in, we're certainly into the realms of uh, drivers appearing from arriving here from the south of France and also from the United States as is become uh, the kind of the common ground at Test here we get uh, drivers that have been competing in the IMSA series, yesterday we saw the Inter series at Detroit, the Belle Isle track, and uh, we've got drivers coming in from there, uh, flying overnight in various means. Even Phileas Fogg in a balloon was mentioned, I'm not sure if that's true. It'll still be, still be in the air, but um, we're, we're at Philippe Albuquerque. Uh, I've already seen in the United Autosport pit, so he's made it, and I believe he was on a, a plane with a, a number of others. Uh, Ricky Taylor's here, Yeah. van der zander I've not seen yet, but I believe is here, people Durani, Will Owen, Jonathan Bomarito we know is here, Harry Tinknell, Oliver Jarvis, Cooper McNeil, Tony Villander, and Patrick Long all on overnight flights to get here. Um, I've, I've At least one flight was arranged by Patrick Lindsay, to get, uh, he's in the Project 1 portion remember he's um, he's been be the, the, the brains behind getting a lot of those guys over the Atlantic from the IMSA race and uh, people, drivers making their way from the south of France which uh, yesterday saw the 1000k race as part of the 1.0 series of Paul Ricard Sven Muller, Roman Dumas, Matthew Jamine, Matt Campbell, Dennis Olsen Sally Ulick Charlie Eastwood, Philippe Fraga, Rob Smith, Vincent Abril, Jules Gounon, who won yesterday, I believe, in the Bentley.
2: He won today, technically
4: speaking. So he did win, did yeah, he? Check yeah. the flag was today. Yeah. Al- Alex Lynn, David Rigon, Michael Elation, Miguel Bellina, Maxime Martin, Mathieu Vaxavier, Johnny Adam, Comte Norman Neto, all making their way up from the south of France. Now, I would imagine at this point they're thinking, be a racing driver, they said. <laughs> it's all very glamorous, they said. They have second thoughts. Flat out. Yeah.
2: Well, I mean, six hours of racing around Ricard, south of this country, south of France, 176 laps, and uh, yeah, the race in Detroit was uh, was a little shorter, but still, <laughs> the, the drivers that took part in that uh, now are taking the punishment in the amount of mileage required between the two venues, Detroit uh, street track and uh, here. Uh, At Le Mans, so but yeah, Jules Gounard, a race winner with Stephen Kane and Jordan Pepper. First victory in the brand new Bentley Continental for those guys, and uh, a significant winning margin it was in the end. But yep, uh, Miguel Molina and Davide Regon, were in the second place Ferrari at Ricard and they are also required here, as is Miquel Lotion indeed, so all three drivers in the second place Ferrari uh, have had to uh, hot step it, hot foot it to Le Mans to do some uh, track action today, Jules Gounon, even more so though than the other guys because he is a rookie, not raced at Le Mans before and therefore he has to be in the car at some stage today to do his ten requisite laps At the top of the times, uh, there is still no change as far as the two Toyotas are concerned. 322.027 for the number 7 car, 323.268 for the number 8 machine. 1.2 seconds separate then the two Toyotas. The number 11 SMP racing car is now up there and fighting with the other LMP1s in the entry. So car 11 we heard from Stoffel van Dorn with Joe Bradley not too long ago. Well Stoffel's now driving the number 11 car as we speak somewhere in the middle sector of the lap and that car has done a 3.25.4 now to put it well in the ballpark as far as times are concerned for LMP1 Privateer. The two fastest Privateer cars 17 and 1 so that's the SMP Racing BR1 from the Rebellion R13 Sergey Sorokin and Neil Jarny last to drive those but they are uh, in the pits at the moment and possibly some setup changes required for those two cars as well uh, the Baikolis racing car is back out on track though with Ollie Webb now driving the number 4
4: Joe? Yeah that's been going round quite uh, well actually been going round and round doing what it's supposed to do um, a, a, an interesting question posed on Twitter from Megan Morton. <laughs> Oh, that's it. Porsche 93 pulling away, definitely. I've got hands on. Um, he's asking about the garage flooring. Is it supplied to the teams by the ACO? Um, no, the answer is not. Uh, each team has to come with its own um, garage a- equipment, if you like, uh, including the flooring. And um, there's, a, there's a variation on... Ideas of, of uh, furniture and garage flooring and decking, and that reminded me of a story from, albeit it's not at Le Mans, but certainly is uh, on the same subject. McLaren went to Silverstone and completely tiled the garage floor. Yes. And it's it's one of the garages in the heritage pits now, and the tiles are still there. They are they are a beautiful uh, light grey, almost silver ceramic. And um, I got the opportunity to actually have that garage once for a race that we were doing there. I forget where it was, Cleo Cup, I think. Um, and it's great. It's a great service to work with, but deadly in the wet. So I would suggest plastic flooring being the, uh, the order of the day. And that's what we we'll see here in Levant. the whole majority of teams using plastic flooring of various uh, manufacture. And uh, But no, it's not something... You know what? On the truck, the thing that takes up more space on the truck after your race car is your flooring. And it's, and you have to be very careful how you pack it because the, the what you don't want to do is pack your flooring first because when you get to your next race, what's the thing that's <laughs> got to come off first? It's your flooring, isn't it? Of course it is. You can't empty the truck and then find the flooring. So it's, you know... All operational logistics that go into running two cars or whatever around a racetrack, there's a lot of thought process put in. I call that thinking fourth
2: dimensionally, i.e., right, when we get to the track and, you know, a couple of weekends ahead or whatever, how are we going to do it and what order do we need to find things? Um, yeah, it's a bit like uh, packing your shopping at the supermarket, getting all the solid things at the bottom of the bag. Or your you...
4: dishwasher, Johnny.
2: Dishwasher is very important. Yes, fridge management and how sta- how you stack your dishwasher, all very important things.
4: I'm a stickler for a dishwasher being packed.
2: So, but is that to make sure that everything goes in for a load of washing, or to make
4: sure it comes out in the right order? Uh, a bit of both. Okay. I've always been an advocate of every household needing two dishwashers because. <laughs> Once the dishwasher has washed the dishes, that then becomes your storage unit.
2: Where where they drip
4: dry. As you use the dishes, that then goes into dishwasher two. Mm. That then becomes, once it's washed all the dishes, your storage unit. And then, as you use them out of dishwasher two, you you put them back into dishwasher one.
2: (laughs) There speaks a man who lives in a big enough house, ladies and gentlemen, for two dishwashers. And possibly two kitchens.
4: It's called efficiency of effort. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and a decent pension. Maybe, maybe I'm overthinking dishwashing.
2: No, know well, I'm, I'm sure there are many people out there who would uh, <laughs> concur. And if you do, feel free to get involved. I didn't expect to start talking about dishwashers no, here at Test Day, but, but why not?
3: Neither we're, did I. And we're and, uh, a broad church.
4: My voice has gone a little bit. That. Now, I'll tell you why that is. Go on. I've just breathed in a lung full of carbon fibre. Ouch. Carbon brick dust so I'm, I'm going to have to have a drink or something. Yeah,
2: by all means. Well, you were good enough to give me a little bit of a break a moment or two ago, so uh, why don't we uh, do the same in reverse this time and uh, we'll hear from Joe Bradley in a little while, but uh, bless him, his, uh, his voice was struggling there. I wonder whether it was just because the race cars are so loud it was a matter of him having to increase the volume and strain a little bit, but uh, you also run the risk, being a pit lane reporter, of gulping in some fumes or, indeed, brake dust, carbon fibre from passing race cars. Uh, a fair few decent times coming through now in the LMP2 ranks. Now, fifth fastest so far, Gabby Obrey in the number 38 Jackie Chandisi racing car. And Gabrielle was onto a decent lap that next time around, actually, but then uh, now slowed because of a yellow, a double yellow, uh, that was at Marshall Post 3, that's actually now been removed but also we have a slow zone at Marshall Post 33 which are rather 30 which is still uh, present right now so that will take uh, a bit of time to sort out and there's in fact going to be a slow zone at zone 8 in the next few minutes so now typically on my laptop, I seem to have lost where the track map is, so of course we'll identify where those places are, because the marshal posts, sort of unless you're a marshal may well keep you guessing as to their location Uh, so I'll get on to that I believe we're still effectively using the same track map as we did last year so, here we go, here's the marshal post map and MP30 is just beyond our nudge. in fact it's the run into the porsche curves and there's going to be a slow zone at zone eight which is the whole of the porsche curves and it's light blue on my diagram the track effectively split into nine different zones across how many different marshall posts 35 mps and nine different zones and at any one point Uh, One or more, if required, of those zones can be turned into a speed limit of 80 kilometres per hour. So the slow zone will be at zone 8. The next slow zone at uh, Marshall Post 29 is the message, and slow at Marshall Post 30. And there is a process of getting these cars safely into the speed-limited area as well, uh, i.e. you're given a Marshall Post distance to decrease your speed, and you must be then at that uh, speed limit of 80 k's by the point that you get to Marshall Post 30. Um, But a a few years ago, we had one or two hairy moments where cars were slowing down for the slow zones, but at different speeds. So you'd have a car slowing down rapidly, like an LMP1 car, which can stop on a sixpence because it's so light and has very highly efficient brakes. The problem was GT cars behind could only dream of stopping at that sort of rate. So there is now a gradual slowdown into the actual affected area of the racetrack. No messages on the timing screen just yet about whether this is a real incident being dealt with by the Le Mans Marshals or, again, whether it's a practice scenario. But what it means is Sector 3 is currently much slower than it would be at race speed and that has rather scuppered the efforts of Gabriel Aubrey, uh, Paul de Resta, who was going pretty well in the United Autosports car at the first bit of the lap, but had to then back off into sector three. And Nicolas Lapierre, who was showing signs of pushing for an improved lap in the Alpine, he had to back off as well in car 36. And Paul de Resta, in fact, deciding to pit at the end of that lap in car 22. So not far for the... Scott to head down the pit lane he'll turn right almost immediately into garage A and park the number 22 car up the top three are remaining the same in terms of times Dragon Speed, Faster Than Graf sp- Faster Than uh, e Sport so 31, 39, 48 in GT Pro well, Miguel Molina is here and he was racing at Paul Ricard yesterday evening and a little bit into this morning but uh, Molineux the Spaniard uh, has been driving the AF Corsa Ferrari, number 71 today, and that car now recently doing a, well, on lap 10 of 18, 3 minutes 56.088 from the Italian squad AF Corsa. Ferrari not technically entered as a works outfit, but if Ferrari... Did do a works outfit in the Le Mans 24 Hours. It would look very much like AF Corsa, Amato Ferrari's team. And Amato Ferrari, I think, if with six Ferrari 488s in total uh, this weekend because they run the car guy effort, car number 57. Also, the Clearwater Racing Ferrari is is an AF Corsa machine. Spirit of Race, number 54, and there was one more on my list. Ah, oh, MR Racing, number 70. Again, effectively run by AF Corsa, although entered under an entirely different name. But it is very impressive to walk down to that area of the pit lane and see six Ferraris next door to one another, all out of the AF Corsa stable. And I think Joe and I counted... 11 or was it 12 488s in total in the entry? That includes the two AF Corsa cars in Pro. Uh, Risi Competizioni makes it three in Pro. And then, as far as AM cars are concerned, we've got Spirit of Race, we've got the Car Guy machine, the Clearwater car, the Weathertech Racing machine from the United States, MR Racing of Japan, and two. Kessel Racing Ferraris, JMW Motorsport with a Ferrari as well so that's 1, 2, 3, 4 5, 6, 7, 8 9, 10, 11 it is 11 cars at Ferrari 488 due to be in this year's race as far as Porsche are concerned there are 3, 4, 5 6 in AM and a further 4 in Pro 4 GTs is easier because there are the 4 works entries and this year the keating motorsports machine as well so five ford gts in aston martin land we have got four in total so the 95 and the 97 together with the 90 and the 98 from tf sport and aston martin racing and who have i missed out uh, the bmw so two bmw m8s but no privateer versions of those just yet. The GT-AM BMW is not a thing, but might be in future seasons. And then the two Chevrolet Corvettes from the US, but they are also both in GT Pro. Uh, let us go back to the pit later, Joe Bradley.
4: Vonson uh, and uh, All three rookie drivers in this Porsche, does that really make a difference? You've got nothing to prove, you're just going to go out there?
0: Yeah, it's a very rare situation uh, in my career to be uh, in this situation with three rookie teammates uh, in such an iconic race. So for sure we're taking it with a very different approach. Uh, Obviously the goal is going to be to finish the race and take a maximum of experience. Uh, It's a great adventure for uh, Louis and his father uh, to race together in Le Mans. It's been a dream of theirs, and for them to choose me as their pro driver, it's, it's a, great, uh, a great opportunity and I'm very thankful, so I'll try and do my best. Uh, I've never driven in this category as well, so coming from GTs, um, it's a lot to learn, but I'm ready for the challenge. Have you been in the car already? Have you been out on the track already? I haven't been in the car this morning, uh, but I've tested the car already once in Spa and uh, the feeling was straight away amazing. Uh, Porsche has been a fantastic car and uh, felt comfortable straight away, which is a great indication for uh, such a long race. But uh, I will get my first taste of Le Mans soon and I honestly can't wait. It's been a long time I didn't get this feeling.
3: You've
4: you've been sat here for three hours uh, watching your teammates take the car out. That must be really difficult.
0: Yeah, I just came from uh, Le Castellet, from the Blancpain race, uh, so we finished pretty late there and flew this morning, uh, arrived uh, straight into the paddock, everyone was running, so I felt a bit late for everything, but yeah, my teammate's been running, uh, Louis is doing a great job for a rookie, as a young driver, he's taking it in the right approach, and his father is the same, it's, it's a lot to take in, coming from uh, the background he has in racing which is ferrari challenge which is a bit different uh here the level is very high so it will be a, a great challenge human and sports side for them and uh, i will try and do my best to help them
4: and i believe this is your first race in a portion is that correct right?
0: it is it is um, first time in gt first time in WEC, and first time in uh, Le Mans. so a lot of firsts for everyone so we're not trying to go ahead of ourselves and just taking it in time after time we've got a great outfit with Porsche and Proton they know the race inside out they won it last year so there's no better place to let's say debut uh, Le Mans
4: Fonson I'm going to wait until this afternoon and then come back and speak to you after you've driven this track and I'm, I'm really interested to hear what you have to say about it once you've driven
0: pleasure anytime. thank you
4: Fonson Abril great young man
2: yes uh, and still very young as you say um He is 24 years old, rated as a gold by the FIA and uh, looking forward to seeing Vincent Abril, who is far more recognised as a GT3 driver. He was a Blancpain champion in 2015 in the sprint part of that championship and, and long been linked with Bentley. Uh, I was going to ask Joe, actually, to see what he thought about the Bentley victory at Paul Ricard uh, last night, but he has now moved on into Mercedes, so possibly not the uh, pertinent question. Although he did race with Bentley at Bathurst this year, earlier on this year, but has now changed manufacturer to the uh, twin, to the uh, three-pointed star, uh, but never raced a Porsche, not even in GT3s. So now in a GTE Porsche, Uh, which, some say, does take a little bit of time to master, although these Porsches are now mid-engined, and when the engine uh, in the GTE used to hang rearward of the rear axle, um, the, the argument was that if you were used to a front engine or a mid engine car, then to go to a Porsche, which is obviously very heavy on the rear, and a little bit like a pendulum, if it got out of shape, the risk was that it would spin very quickly... Uh, rather than those guys that have come through Porsche junior programs and through Carrera Cup championships and are well used to how a Porsche behaves when it's on the ragged edge, slightly easier for them. But Vincent Abreu, um, fast in whatever he drives, uh, and uh, far more used to front engine machinery. But I'm sure I'm sure he will adapt very quickly indeed. And I think he's right, really, to to set the target. A little lower, perhaps, and uh, they will see how they get on. So driving the number 78 Proton Competition Porsche. Three hours done, just less than 60 minutes still to go then before we hit the lunch break at 1 o'clock local time. It that uh, therefore means that we have reached a point where we can give you another hourly update.
0: Live from Trackside, this is Mobile One, Radio Le Mans.
1: The hourly update. The
2: two Toyotas continue to circulate and they are still ordered on the same positions on the timing screen. We have, though, on the last lap completed by Fernando Alonso, seen a better effort from car number eight. So the gap is down to three quarters of a second now between Toyota number seven and Toyota number eight. Mike Conway in the uh, number seven car I'm pretty sure that was a Mike Conway time as well from earlier on, 3.22.027. And Fernando Alonso goes a smidge quicker, 3.22.785, which means that the gap between the two Toyotas is now 0.758 of a second. But the time from car seven was set much earlier on lap 11 of the 41 that it has completed. Uh, Fernando Alonso now about to complete its the, the, the number eight car's 40th lap of the session. And on lap 39 of 40, uh, that car has just done its fastest time of the day. In LMP1 Privateer... The 17 SMP Racing BR1 is quickest, although Yegor Rudchev not currently driving that car around the circuit. He came into the pits fairly recently, but earlier on in the session, that car did a 324.529. Fourth fastest, the number three Rebellion Racing R13 of Thomas Laurent, the man who's just been signed by Toyota to be the test and reserve driver going forward into the next. World Endurance Championship season. Fifth fastest, the number one Rebellion R13 of Neil Jarney. That car's done a 3.25.319. And sixth quickest is the number 11 BR1 from SMP Racing. Stoffel van Dorn last to drive it, but it's just been handed to Vitaly Petrov, and that car's best time of the day, a 3.25.496. In LMP2, Dragon Speed are quickest still. The number 31 car currently being driven by Roberto Gonzalez, but earlier on the time was a 3:32.518. Second fastest. The Graft car number 39 of Jonathan Hershey, and the time set again fairly early on in the day, lap 7 of 32 for car number 39, and that was a 332.6 to put it second fastest. Third is the number 48 Edex Sport car, currently parked up in the pit lane, but nevertheless a 332.9 keeps that car third fastest. Ahead of TDS Racing, number 28, a 333.1 for that car, and fifth quickest in LMP2, number 29, the racing team Nederland Delara. Guido van der Garde currently driving on the Michelin tyres and a 3.33.4 was set very recently by Guido van der Garde, uh, just two laps ago, in fact, to put that car now fifth quickest. In GT Pro, it's the AF Corsa Ferrari of Miguel Molina and was that a recent time? No, about halfway through the laps that it has done, 10 laps of 18 saw the fastest time for Ferrari number 71, a 356.0. Second fastest, the 66 Ford of Ford Chip Ganassi UK. That's the GT, which is the black and white car for this year's race. Stefan Mucke driving now, and that car earlier did a 3.56.324. Third fastest, Ferrari number 51, the AF Corsa entry, Daniel Serra doing the driving right now, and earlier it did a 3.56.512. Then two Porsches, Laurent Vantor in the 92, Patrick Pile currently in the 93, and the times 357. Point th- sorry, 356.7 and 356.8 for cars 92 and 93 respectively. If you're here supporting other manufacturers in GT Pro, then the fastest Corvette is eighth quickest. Marcel Fessler is currently driving that, a 357.3. And the fastest BMW, 13th fastest, Augusto Farfus driving the number 82 BMW, having done a 358.665. And the Aston Martins are 14th and 15th fastest. Uh, Johnny Adam in the 97 last time. Marco Sorensen last to drive the 95. Both cars are currently in the pits, though, and they are in the 359s. 359.1 and 359.2. In GTE Am, the fastest car remains the 54 Spirit of Race Ferrari. Thomas Fleur with a lengthy stint, and earlier on that car did a 359.5. Uh, the second fastest car in GTE Am is Christian Reed's Dempsey Proton Racing Porsche number 77, a 4 minutes.4 0.4 for that car. And third quickest in Am, Matteo Cairoli's 88 Porsche, 4 minutes.8. Car Guy Racing fourth quickest in GTE Am number 57. That's the Combe Ladigar driven Ferrari 488 from the Asian Le Mans Series 401.0 and fifth quickest in GTE Am the number 98 Aston Martin of Pedro Lamy. That Vantage, 401.062, which is the older-shaped Aston Martin Vantage, of course. Hourly update done, 53 minutes to go. You're listening to 91.2 FM here at the track and on RS1, part of the Radio Show Limited network of channels. This is Mobile One, Radio Le Mans for for 2019.
0: Mobile One, Radio Le Mans, 91.2 FM, energy to perform
2: And we are in the middle of what could be a very good lap for Fernando Alonso. He's done a 32.7 through sector one. He is faster than anybody else through the middle sector. Now on into the final sector, which is the longest, as the almost golf-liveried Ford that goes over the line now, which was one of the first to be unleashed from the truck only a few days ago. So that will be the number 69 Ford of Ryan Briscoe and Richard Westbrook, which streams across the line. Still waiting for Fernando Alonso to appear out of the Ford chicane. He might be a few more seconds. So in the meantime, let's dart down to the pits again and Joe Bradley.
4: I've got uh, Tracy just Tracy's just got out of the 99 Porsche. Glad to see Tracy. You you're clinging to the uh, the Crown Aviation, the bright green. It's the prettiest, brightest car out there.
1: Uh, no, it's really great to be back. Uh, this is our 14th uh, in a row with Nick and I, so uh, we're just delighted to be back. Uh, the car's uh, been a bit of a handful this morning. Just trying to get to the track. The track's a little little messy. It's got a lot of a lot of debris on it still. But,
4: uh, but we're gonna hear in a minute. So the, the car being a handful. Was that caused by the track rather than the car?
1: Well, it's both. Uh, the car's got a lot of understeering it right now. Uh, high speed, low speed, everywhere. So uh, we're, we're still running on used tires. We haven't hit new yet. So We're just trying to figure out the world tendency of the car, what it's doing, what we can do mechanically to repair it. I don't think it's an aero issue. I'm pretty sure it's just mechanical.
4: 14 years you've just said there and I my goodness I've been to every all 14 of those Tracy you, you're with Nick Johnson as ever and Patrick Long you've been partnered with Patrick quite a few times also
1: yeah well you know just having him uh, around these all these years has been a real thing to me uh, just a steady uh, very reliable uh, and, and plus, he's a psychology major, which probably helps me a great deal. <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah, don't want to go there. Um, I did notice as I patted you on the shoulder, yeah. you're working very hard out there. It's hot out there. How hot is it in the car? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's very loud as well. Yeah. It's hot out there, Tracy, I can see
1: by that. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's warm, but I mean, it's not warm. It's, it's not awful. It's just the, the, the cockpit's really tight. That's, that's the only thing for me. Right? You're from Texas, though. Yeah, well, you know, When you're 6'3", and, and way more than all these guys, it's a little bit of a problem. But uh, but I can still get in and out of the car and manoeuvre around. It's always tight, the cockpit, for me.
4: And you still enjoy yourself. That's yeah. the main
1: thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be doing this as long as I can.
4: I hope so. I hope to be there as well. Thank you, Tracy Crone, leaving Tracy to get cooled off. Um, and again, the 99 Porsche, which is with the, the Dempsey Proton team, that's where Tracy's placed himself this year. But carrying the Crone Aviation, that's Tracy Crone's company, or one of, uh, the bright green car. Cannot miss it if you are out on track today and indeed next week.
2: Thanks, Joe. Um, yeah, as you say, great to hear from Tracy Crone. 14 Le Mans successively. And uh, back with Nick Johnson, his long-time driving partner. And Pat Long, not too shabby, I think it's fair to say, uh, behind the wheel of a Porsche 911. So they are in the Dempsey Proton Racing camp this year, uh, but very much not in Dempsey Proton Racing colours. And there are, well, when you factor in the Proton Competition car as well, we've got four cars in that camp. So 77, which is a Dempsey Proton Racing entry, as it is in the World Endurance Championship. 78, which is, technically speaking, a Proton competition entry, but it's the same team. Uh, Dempsey Proton Racing number 88, that's the other World Endurance Championship car. And then the second additional entry is number 99, as we have spoken about. So those that follow the World Endurance Championship and have done certainly for the last 18 months or so, We'll know all about the lineup at 77. Matt Campbell, Christian Reed, Julian Andlauer, and in 88 uh, there has been a tweak to the driving lineup because welcoming Satoshi Hoshino into that WEC entered car, along with Giorgio Roda and Matteo Cairoli, so a bronze, a silver, and a gold combination. A reminder that when you are uh, when you are arranging your GTEM driver combo. Uh, The way you do it is you say, right, first of all, we need a bronze driver. Uh, And, uh, well, we'll deal with that in a moment or two because the priority right now is to hear from Fernando... Well, to uh, get a word potentially from Fernando Alonso. Has he just stepped out of the car, Joe Bradley? Not quite. He's just
4: pulled at my feet. And uh, the process is the car pulls up. We're talking about the number eight Toyota, and he remains in the car. The fuel goes in, the fuel being put in the car for its next run but the team are ready with the dolly jacks now now he climbs from the car and leaves the crew to sort out jacking the car putting it on the dollies and Fernando Alonso stepping from that you mentioned he was on a flyer Johnny I'm not sure I heard uh, how that lap ended. uh, It it
2: went very well Joe because he's got to within 51 thousandths of a second of Mike Conway's time so a 3.22.078 from the Spaniard I said that middle sector was a bit special, turning purple. He then did a 92.4 through the final sector, so well and truly up there now with the sister car.
4: Quick word with Sebastian Buemi, who was standing at the back of the carriage with his helmet already to get in the car. That car now being ready for Buemi, who steps in, slides across the side places his bottom on there, then swings his legs round and slide into the tight confines of that Toyota, I would not get in there. And maybe I would get in there, but there's no way I'd get out. And not I'd be like Winnie the Pooh being stuck in rabbit's hole, I think, if I ever got in there. Um, but the number eight now with where me, uh, Fernando Alonso, disappears to the back of the garage, where, of course, all the engineers and the data engineers are, and no doubt go into a bit of a briefing about that run, and now it's down to Sebastian Buehmi to uh, to go out and beat the time of uh, Alonso.
2: Well, yes, the gauntlet has been thrown down, hasn't it? Although uh, they might have to hold back Mike Conway at this rate because he's just done the fastest time through the middle sector. So we've got a 32.3 from the Brit now in car number seven, electric through the middle sector, hybrid, electricity you'll understand and then through sector three let's see what mike conway can offer but a 322.027 is the number seven car's best time so far and i just wonder whether mike conway's got something else up his sleeve into this final sector it's a little bit traffic dependent if he catches any gt cars into the ford chicane that might scupper his efforts but there's no doubt about this portion of the day. Clearly, Toyota feel that track conditions have now started to work their way towards the race cars rather than the road traffic that has been using that road for the last 50 weeks of the year or so. And it's now starting to turn into a racing circuit. So is there enough Griff out there? Adam Olsan Corner, the long run towards that frightening, frighteningly quick right-hand kink. The run into Indianapolis, both the right-hander and the left. Across the line goes Conway, and it's no improvement, but he gets very close indeed to his best time set earlier on. It's a 3.22.5 from car number seven, so just half a second off, and he was surrounded by GT cars, Mike Conway, as he strained across the timing line. So that could be part of the reason why there was just a, a feathering of the throttle, maybe into Porsche curves, maybe the run into the Ford chicane, and uh, immediately your chance of going quicker than a 3.22 goes for a Burton. But the Toyota's mean business in this portion of the day. They've got another 45 minutes or so to play with before the chequered flag will be shown for the first time today, and that will draw to a close the first four-hour chunk of test session. For 2019, ahead of the 24 hours of Le Mans, the 87th edition of The Great Race. You're tuned to 91.2 FM, Mobile One, Radio Le Mans. Uh, around the track on 91.2 FM and around the world on RS1, part of the radio show limited network of channels. We can grab a word with another one of the rookie drivers here this year. Ryan Cullen is now with Joe.
4: He's in the number 32 United Autosports car. Uh, Ryan, have you qualified your rookie laps?
5: Sorry, sir, again? Have you managed your
4: rookie laps yet? Have you qualified
5: the yeah. rookie process? Yeah, yeah, I've, I've already done my laps. Um, did quite a few laps this morning. Uh, really, really interesting. And, uh, What's yeah. your thoughts? Then go on. <laughs> it's um, the track evolution is quite interesting, but it's the it's the long straights and then it's it's trying to remember the little uh, characteristics of the track as you're going around. Every corner is different. It's not straightforward, uh, but it's really enjoyable. And so, what are we seeing here going on
4: with the car? Are we now chasing the centre to device?
5: Yeah, for me. Um, For me it's more laps and uh, just improve and get more confidence and uh, for Alex it's more about setup so it improves my confidence as well because he's got more experience and um, the more laps I do the faster I was going but we have to split the drive time and we have to get the setup right because I could be driving the wrong setup with my experience I might not know. So over to Alex really and see what he thinks.
4: You never know, it'll not be long before you're the experienced driver teaching a rookie about setup. That's the way it works. I remember when Brundle, young Brundle, was a, was a newbie yeah. and he was in the same boat. So uh, good luck with the rest of the day and uh, we'll see you next week if we don't speak to you later, right, and get more thoughts.
5: Yeah, thank you. Cheers. Right.
2: Yeah, Ryan Cullen, who uh, on the entry list you may have noticed uh, down as an Irishman, and that is not born in Ireland. I don't think ever has actually lived in Ireland, but through uh, family heritage, wants to be known very much as an Irishman and uh, therefore is down as such on the entry list and uh, doing some really good things in the European Le Mans series in recent years and a talent for the future, I would suggest. Well, that's one big tick now against his CV, is uh, sufficient laps around the 24-hour Le Mans circuit to qualify him for the race and uh, joining him, as uh, as Joe was saying, Alex Brundle, Brundle Jr. and Will Owen, who have been with United Autosports for possibly the last three years, certainly the last couple. Will Owen well-experienced in that crew. The anglo-american squad united autosports and uh, alex brundle a former champion at lmp3 level in the elms with united autosports so uh, the connection's already there as far as team personnel and driver relationship is concerned and ryan cullen has slotted in very neatly indeed so they're in the number 32 car and then next door neighbors the 22 of phil hansen Philippe Albuquerque, and paul de resta What are the Toyotas up to now? And did we have any improvement again from Mike Conway? The answer to that is no. But Conway came very close to being able to shave some more time off. And yeah, the three twenty-two point zero two seven. That still stands as the best time of the day. Sebastian Buemi strapping himself on board the number eight. Toyota now heading back out again. He's got 52 thousandths of a second to find in order to better the time then offered by the number seven machine. Eight, of course, leads the championship, leads the super season. But the number seven car has been getting better results more recently was in a great position to win last time out at Spa but then drama hit the number 7 car and i think at the time the drivers of number 8 particularly kasnakajima said it was a, it was rather unfair on the uh, crew at 7 to have that win taken away because uh, kasnakajima admitting that Conway Kobayashi and José María López were by far the stronger drivers at Spa uh, last month, which was round seven of the championship. But in the end, because of the problems with the seven car, they could only muster a 6th place uh, finish in Belgium. And instead, it was a win for the number eight Toyota from the Tom alarant Gustavo Menezes' Rebellion and Nat Berton, of course, being part of that Rebellion squad as well. From Sebring. So, Nat Beto had raced for Dragon Speed in the first couple of races of the Super Season, but moving on into the Swiss Rebellion squad for the last three races of this uh, World Endurance Championship transitional season. LMP2, it remains the usual suspects at the sharp end Dragon Speed, Graf, Edex Sport, and TDS Racing. There has been some more recent improvement. I think from uh, the Edex Sport car unless that car's been in the garage for a fairly long time I only see more recent experience because it set its fastest lap of the day on lap 25 of 26 but when that 26th lap was actually completed could have been more than an hour ago I have a feeling the 48 car's been in the pits for a fairly long time now Paul Luke Chateau the last to drive it I hope that's nothing to be concerned about as far as Edex Sports are concerned And there is a change now because Gide van der Gaarde of the Netherlands, racing for Racing Team Nederland, plucks a time out there, which is second fastest of the day, a 3.32.628. The track, I sense, has become a little more quiet. Certainly there are fewer cars heading across the line right now. And Gide van der Gaarde making use of that quieter track to post a second fastest time of the day, a 3:32.6. To slot neatly between the Dragon Speed car number 31 and number 39 Graf. Edex Sport number 48 in fourth position, therefore, now, and Francois Perodo is the fifth fastest car for TDS Racing. That means we've got an Orica fastest, a now a Delara second fastest ahead of four Oricas, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth. But we do have the tyre mixture. Michelin still seem to have a slim advantage because they are occupying the top four positions in that mixed rubber category. But Dunlop are there in fifth and sixth places with 3.33s, low 3.33s, and we're talking mid 3.32s for the fastest LMP2 cars. In GT Pro, the 66 Ford of Billy Johnson is now... The fastest car. So that was Ferrari last time we checked in into GT Pro land. But the Ferraris are now second and third fastest. And the black and white Bruce McLaren, Chris Amon liveried uh, Ford GT is now the fastest pro car. And it's time a 3.55.780 That was done on lap 27 of the 31 laps completed for car 66, so fairly late in the day. But also we've seen improvement now for the 51 Ferrari. Daniel Serra still piloting that, so I think that will be a Daniel time. And a 355.922 puts both the 66 Ford and the 51 Ferrari faster than the 71 Ferrari that was occupying the top spot for the best part of an hour earlier on. David Eragon, another driver busy, in the south of France as part of the Blancpain uh, 1,000 Ks at Paul Ricard. Uh, late last night and just into the early hours of this morning, so goodness knows what time he travelled uh, to Le Mans, possibly through the night. And David A. Rigon, though, showing no signs of sleepiness. Third fastest for that AF Corsa Ferrari. Fourth quickest is the 63 Corvette Racing uh, um, machine of Jan Magnussen. So just a reminder of the lineups of the Corvette C7Rs this year. Jan Magnussen is in the 63, joined by Tonio Garcia and Mike Rockenfeller. And in the 64, we got Oli Gavin, Tommy Milner and Marcel Fessler. And the best of the Corvettes currently in fourth position. Then it's the couple of Porsches, uh, 91 and 92. So they are the two World Endurance Championship entered cars. Uh, Running in fifth and sixth places, Jimmy Bruni and Kevin Estra. And after that, just need to check my other screen for the other pro cars um, because the best American Porsche, i.e., whether it's 93 or 94, it's 93, that car is in seventh position. We got the second of the Corvette's 10th fastest, number 64, Ollie Gavin just going out now in fact with still 35 minutes remaining the BMW of Augusto Farfus is putting in a fair bit of mileage, that car currently in 14th position and then the Aston Martins, Maxi Martin and Marco Sorensen again just going through the jobs list I don't think there's anything to be concerned about regarding Aston's Apparent lack of speed so far because this is only a test day at the end of the day and they may not have even approached looking at the car with a lower fuel load and trimming it out for qualifying. It's all about trying to get the car consistent over a race stint and we talk a lot about cars not being up there during test day um, and being quite concerned about them and start talking about balance of performance and all that shenanigans which will probably be uh, a moot point during race week as well but uh, actually you know you win this race over lots of long stints all bolted together and how does your car behave and evolve over a race stint as it gets lighter as the fuel is burnt off as it wears its tires you know do you get even wear do you get more wear at the start of a stint or more end, more wear at the end all this will be being judged now by the teams to ensure that the, the cars are at their optimum when it comes to the race rather than three doses of qualifying as we will have during race week we can uh, welcome by the way joe bradley to the commentary box this time um i'm worried about your voice
4: How you mate i just then, breathe. i just i was just in a cloud of black thick black carbon brake dust and I w- it was unavoidable, and I'm, you know that's my that's my home environment it's a out there. Natural that's habitat, that's my it? natural habitat. But I just I didn't realise it. I would breathed I'd breathed it in through my throat.
2: Yeah, it goes I down I the I wrong
4: tried way.
3: I speak, and I was like that.
4: Just, <laughs> so I'm, have, I'm I'm currently sucking on a lozenge. I could mm.
2: t- I could hear that tinking yes. against your teeth. So uh, and I've
4: got I'm, I need to, I've got some. Ca- a cappuccino here oh. to to lubricate. So I thought I'd pop in for the last half hour of this session. How do you
2: know that I don't to get all of this treatment? By the way, a lozenge and a I coffee have people, ready
4: mate. Do you do not you? have people?
2: You have your own sort of team. Do yeah, you I have entourage? People. Yeah,
4: yeah, yeah, absolutely. Do you, don't you? Doesn't everyone?
2: Uh, no, suddenly, funnily <laughs> enough, no. This is all now coming out.
4: Really? Really? Oh, I thought everyone did. Right, only yeah. four. Only four staff, of
2: course. Four, four staff, yeah. OK. Right, so well, I have a house
4: on... big enough for two dishwashers, so i am got a house big enough for four staff That's as well. That's very true,
2: yeah. So one's on coffee duty. We need another two to hold a very large pack of... Uh, would lozenges. you like a
4: chocolate biscuit?
2: I would love a chocolate biscuit. I've got biscuit, a selection. A little bit later on. Yeah. Maybe give it half an hour.
4: Well, I can't believe, Johnny, that we've only got 30 minutes left of what was a four-hour four session. When this kicked off... Um, yes, you know, we were talking about the green race track and, and the, the, the track here at Le Mans being public roads and it's, you know, it's got to clean up. And, well, we've cleaned it up now. We're going to see some pretty representative times. And I think as we go into this afternoon, what I have found here, though, unlike um, normal places with regards to the track temperature, the track temperature continues to go up mm. until about 7 p.m. Yeah. Well, we're finished at 6 so we're not going to get that golden hour that we talk about. We're not going to get the drop-off in temperature, ambient and track. So we are going to get hotter and hotter and hotter. So who knows? I mean, that's, that's what I find fascinating about test day is we're not just seeing the, the cars for the Le Mans 24 hours that having their first runs around the circuit here, but we're also learning about how we're going to potentially be reacting to the conditions of race week. Because I think, you know what, it's pointless looking at a long-range forecast for next week because this is this is France, uh, northern France as well. So it's uh, not quite as bad as England, but it can rain and does rain. In fact, just didn't Jason Statham, Statham say that? It always rains at Le Mans. I've got just the throat for that well, one. Haven't Statham, you? It? Yep. it always rains at Le Mans.
2: Either him or Ray Winston, I was thinking. Perfect.
4: It is hot out there, though, I've got to say. So well, the weather where you would be lying by a pool with a gin and tonic in your hand rather than dressed in three-layer of Nomex. And I'm not just the only one. All the crew members, uh, to remind everybody, all the crew members have got to be wearing three-layer Nomex, uh, FIA-approved Nomex race suits and, and helmets and balaclavas. So, you know, it's not just the drivers who are suffering. It's everyone involved, crew members, team. Endurance racing is a team effort, and that's certainly what we've got here regarding the hot conditions.
2: Yeah, to be honest, I expected you back in our little air-conditioned booth earlier than you'd appeared. So I thought, OK, maybe it's slightly more comfortable than you'd a- anticipated. It
4: was, and that was purely because the pit lane is in the shade. However, yeah. the, the sun's getting higher as the morning's gone on, and that increases the temperature. So even though you're in the shade, the temperature's still going up. And now we've got the the, the sun appearing around the the bottom of the pit building uh, at Pit Inn and beginning to... Uh, to bathe the, uh, certainly, for instance, the United Autosports, it's creeping towards Toyota. By the time we resume at 2pm this afternoon, the pit lane was is going to be in full sun. And yep. that's going to be, that's Intense. when I'll be visiting you every hour.
2: That's fine. That's yeah,
4: fine. For this air-conditioned splendor. I may have people, but I don't have air-conditioning, John. No,
2: no, true. But I had to get them to turn it up a little bit earlier on. I was freezing Freezing. (laughs) Now who's privileged? Uh, Right, so Toyota's back out again. I thought they might be really pushing for some good times here. And uh, don't get me wrong, 3.22 is still pretty good considering the track uh, has struggled for grip all morning. But just to put that in perspective, uh, last year's pole time was seven seconds quicker than that. And the last year's fastest lap in the race... Was a 319, pretty much flat, 319.066. So we are still the best part of uh, three seconds away from yeah, the fastest race lap last year. But that indicates to me that uh, these Toyotas are being put out on reasonably heavy tanks, and they're trying to put in, you know, the fairly lengthy runs. Uh, Yegor Rudchev might be on for something fairly impressive on this lap remember Yegor driving one of a couple of SMP racing BR ones the BR engineering design cars were built by uh, built by Delara but um, they are a true privateer entry and you may remember a number of years ago actually that car was initially designed to be an LMP2 before the rules changed in the LMP2 category and in a sense forced them out of that and uh, force them into making a decision as to where they would race that car uh, somewhere else in the entry. Well, LMP1 was the answer, and those cars, looking pretty swift at the moment, certainly have the measure of the two rebellions, and that, I'm sure, is going to be a race-long duel when we get to the important days in uh, just under two weeks' time. Rebellion versus SMP racing is going to be intense. Dragon Speed, I'm sure will be involved as well. Bicolus Racing Team always have the pace these days. It's just a question of whether the car has the reliability to stay in the hunt. And there have been some difficulties in the World Endurance Championship rounds for the number four car recently. So we wish those guys well as, as well in uh, tuning the car in, dialing the car in, reliability-wise.
4: That That is the competition that I'm looking forward to for race week. I fear that the the LMP hybrids are going to disappear, um, understandably. And I think behind them, the LMP1, the the kind of the pure class, if you like, none of the uh, the hybrid technology on on the SMP and the Rebellion cars and the Dragon Speed, you can't discount them. Um, that's going to be a, a, quite a battle. Both the uh, bro one of SMP and Rebellion's Orica, that they, they've got the speed both teams now you could have said rebellion has more experience than smp but that's i don't think that's the case now i think smp have caught caught up well and truly and i think they know how to go about this race they know about uh, they know how to go about this race week once once we get into race week and it's it's quite crucial you know that there's long days the the track activity the track action doesn't start at 6 p.m and it goes on till midnight then we're back the next day, and it's how you manage your people here at Le Mans. It's not so much; it's not all to do with how you manage the cars on the track. Obviously, that's the primary objective here. But it's how you manage the, your people, because you can quite easily end up by Saturday morning going into race day, and people being absolutely exhausted through sleep deprivation. Yep. You've got to manage it. You've got to be disciplined. You've got to get them to to bed at a reasonable time. You've got to make sure that they're getting good sleep and they're well fed and watered obviously. And that you know that's why that's why we love these long distance races because they so they've got so many layers to them, haven't they? They've got so many layers to them. It's not just about driving a race car fast, it's about managing the operations, the logistics of everything that, that comes with it.
2: Yeah, uh, you know, it's brutal.
4: It, it, it is brutal, it, yeah.
2: You, you come out of your first Le Mans thinking, why on earth probably did I get involved with that, unless you're coming home with a trophy. Uh, but that's something that just keeps bringing people back because it it is the ultimate challenge in motorsport. <coughs> people think, OK, 24-hour race, that's very intense. But what they don't realise is, There's three days of testing, or two days of testing leading into it. Okay, everyone has Friday off, the drivers do. Mechanics sometimes stripping the car down to completely nothing to then build up a race car rather than a qualifying car. Um, So Friday's very, very busy, and then there's the rundown into town as well for the presentation and the, the parade. There's, and, yeah, there's so, all
4: there's all of that yeah. that you, you may not consider as a rookie driver coming into this. My mate Warren Hughes came here in 2001 in the MG, and you know Warren had been around Hindhoff and I for many years, very close friends, and he knew he knew Hindhoff and I went off to Le Mans for some you know some two bit race in France while he was you know forging a career in Formula Three and the like, and until he came here. And until he saw that crowd in the grandstand opposite, until he took part in the driver's parade on the Friday night, until he saw the whole of the community of the of the Salle region coming out for this event, that's when he grasped it. And he, and he came to John and I and he said, I get it now. I, I actually get it now. And you know what people, I've seen lots of people writing in the press. I've heard people say that... Oh, Le Mans this year, is not good. it's going to be rubbish, isn't it? Toyota's just going to walk away with it and stuff. Mm. You know what? You're not really getting it if that's what you think. Because just by competing and a, and, and a, the objective of finishing a 24-hour race in whatever state you are, mm. whether you're 30 laps behind or three laps behind or three-tenths of a second behind, the challenge is just getting through the 24 hours. And, of course, back in the 20s and, and the 30s, 40s, 50s, into the 60s and 70s, this was a race of attrition. Yes. Technology has kind of evolved away from the race of attrition. And it's kind of, if you, if you think about it, you know, you talk to people like Derek Bell and like Jackie Hicks, Um, you know, they, they said that um, there's certain drivers who didn't want to do sports car racing because they weren't driving flat out. It was all about nursing the gearbox and driving at 70%. And, I think it was I think Sterling Moss was one of those drivers that detracted. That was from, the name from, that crept yeah. into my mind. Um, yeah. Nowadays, would you believe Formula One is all about nursing the car and nursing the tires and managing the tires at seventy percent. And this is a twenty four hour sprint race. Mm. A twenty four hour sprint race. Mm. Every stick or it's a series of sprints.
2: Just bolted together. Bolted together. Yeah. Be, I know. Be,
4: be, between a between a fuel room. You know, between yeah. a fuel stop.
2: Yeah. And, the, I mean, the aim is you, you go as fast as you can in the dark or as fast in the dark as you do in the daytime. And uh, sometimes we see the fastest lap of the race around dawn, don't we, where the track is still not great from a, visi- from a visibility point of view. You're already at that point in the race where the muscle memory is just allowing you to, get to lap just as you did at 3, 4 o'clock in the afternoon. But, um, you know, any indication that there's a let-up in pace overnight... Not a bit of it, because they're still pounding round. And I remember races that were effectively uh, won during those overnight hours. Uh, 2015, Nick Tandy's victory with Hulkenberg and El Bamba springs to mind when Tandy was put in for three and four hour stints overnight. And a lot of people say that's where the race was won because of Nick's incredible speed in the darkness hours. And um, that's when, you know, it cools off. It looks like it might be quite a warm year this year. So how fast can you go in the cooler conditions? Uh, speaking of which, I've just noticed some good times. Jaeger and might be onto something quite special on this lap. And Sebastian Buemi as well with a personal best, the car's personal best through the middle sector. I think Rudshev nearing the end of this, which will be lap 33 for car number 17, the SMP Racing car. And just 20 minutes to go now. So... Maybe teams are running these cars as light as possible. You know, we're dummying, basically, the end of a stint here. Mm. Um, So they might have been out for nine, ten laps or so. Uh, And the car's looking very light, very... uh, Very... uh, Lighter uh, uh, running, rather, and uh, yeah, we'll see some good times for Rodchev and Buemi potentially in the next couple of minutes.
4: I've also noticed, Johnny, that the Toyotas are now running 11 laps between stints, so maybe they were their, their earlier runs were shorter, I'm not sure, five, five six laps maybe. Um, that they, they were probably honing the, the setup to where they wanted it to be as the track was evolving, and now they've gone to race stints. Uh, of 11 laps, so they are, you know, they're not running optimum times here. Um, we've just had a change at the top of the order there. 321.875. There you go, Buemi. Sebastian Buemi took over that number eight Toyota from Fernando Alonso. And without really anything being done to the car, to be honest, from what I saw, the car rolled in. It had a new set of Michelin's bolted to it, and then Buemi stepped in, and that was the only changes to the car. There was no, there was no bodywork came off the car. It was fueled before it went into the garage. So that that's purely Buemi getting to grips with the car very, very quickly indeed. And uh, he's now gone just over a well tenth and a half quicker than Kobayashi's number seven. I say Kobayashi, number seven. He's the driver in the car at the moment. I'm not sure who's responsible for the 322 or 27. Who was that?
2: Um, I, I'm i not 100% sure. I think it was a Mike Conway time, but um, my memory's not brilliant around that portion when it was set. But uh, either Conway or Kobayashi... I will suggest, and uh, hopefully we'll get some information through from Alcamel, who are the uh, timing company, as always here at Le Mans, as to who exactly put that time in they will release some data sheets at the end of this four-hour session. But, yes, Sebastian Buemi, I said he would potentially be on to something very special. That's the fastest time of the day, a 321.875, and puts him a tenth and a half clear of Kobayashi, but it is still the two Toyotas out front. Uh, what happened to Yegor Rudchev? I hear you ask? Well, he did set a very good time through the middle sector, and, in fact, that car still hangs on to the fastest middle sector of anybody. Um, but the 17 car actually pitted before it could post or go quicker than a 3.24.5. I remember we had that scenario where, last year, the privateer cars, the non-hybrids, tended to be the fastest cars through the middle sector because they continue to accelerate down the Mulsanne Strait rather than the hybrid sort of running out of harvested power two-thirds of the way down the straight or two-thirds of the way out of each of the chicanes. Um, if you were to put the Toyota alongside either one of the rebellions or one of the SMP racing cars and judge how they accelerated over, say, a 300-metre distance... The Toyota, no question about it, would be out of the blocks quicker and would shoot down the road, but then at some point it would reach its optimum top speed and then back would come the privateer car, I reckon, and then it would go, it would just keep accelerating because it's not got a hybrid. Um, a lot of them got a normal, normally aspirated engine and it just would then, we think, overtake the Toyota or certainly get to a closing distance.
4: I didn't, Johnny, correct me if I'm wrong, but... Toyota suffered a little bit of attrition in our six-hour World Endurance Championship races, hasn't it? Yes. You know, b- b- add that into the equation, mm-hmm. and you know what? It, it's a long way. You know, it's not a foregone conclusion, certainly not a test day, but certainly not on Saturday morning or Saturday afternoon or even Sunday morning. Look at what happened a few years ago with the leading Toyota yeah. grinding to a halt, literally, outside of its garage. This is motorsport, and more so, this is Le Mans, and anything can happen. Anything.
2: I, this is not a foregone conclusion. No, I, not I, at all. Now, remember we said that last year, and uh, to a certain extent, it possibly was. But, this is a very hot year, mm.
4: um,
2: and we're, what's the temperature today? 30 degrees Celsius 31 again?
4: degrees again, yeah.
2: It's very tricky to forecast the weather over the race weekend because really with accuracy you can do five days and not a lot more however it
4: depends what app you use as well That's
2: <laughs> true yes and how confident that they feel yeah. but i think there's a feel for a month generally and june in le mans in 2019 is going to be warm and the way that the weather works at this time of year is it creeps up creeps up creeps up and then often the weather will break with quite a serious thunderstorm and if we the, get that the humidity
4: bills doesn't it yeah and might. My app shows warm, quite hot conditions, 25, 26 ambient degrees, but cloudy. Okay. Now what happens there is that's the that's the build-up of humidity, and eventually we end up with thunderstorms. Yeah. Who doesn't like a bit of a thunderstorm on Saturday night of Le Mans? I mean, you know, <laughs> it really mixes up. In fact, you know what? The best ever Le Mans in my in my view, and I've been my first Le Mans was 1981. I don't really remember much of it because I was here as a spectator. So, you know, it's a, there was a motor race going on Bit hazy. around the eating and drinking. Um, but I've been here with Radio Le Mans since 1996. The best Le Mans in my book is 2008, and the thing that made it the best Le Mans was the weather. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the drivers now they reacted to the weather. But Tom Christensen stints, triple and quadruple stints on intermediates and slicks on a wet track etcetera, etc you've all seen. Truth in 24, if you haven't seen the movie Truth in 24, then you need to see the movie in Truth in 24, and if that doesn't motivate you to fall in love with this sport, then you need to go and take up golf or something.
2: <laughs> um, double yellows at turn 32, and turn 32 is the Ford chicane, which we might even be able to see from our little cabin. Can't see the yellow flags, nor can I see a car off that is immediately obvious but there are double yellows nevertheless being shown I have the feeling that this isn't an exercise instead actually an incident that is being dealt with we get a mixture of, of, of identifying certain areas of the track sometimes it's a marshal post sometimes it's a turn or a corner and sometimes it's a whole zone I mentioned earlier on the track is divided into nine different zones uh, Marshall posts we got 35 of them, and corners we got 33, so they don't quite marry up. But turn 32 is a chicane. Is a double chicane if you don't know. It's a left-right, little tiny straight, another left-right. Well, turn 32 is the second of the lefts, so sort of the third of the four-element Ford chicane, which is a strange place for a car to be stuck if it is. But the double yellows are being shown there, nevertheless.
4: Might have had a spin. It's a place that you can easily yeah. spin. You're trying to get the speed off the car after the Porsche curves very, very fast. And the first left-right is a lot quicker than the second left-right. So you're kind of gradually getting the speed off, but it is still a massive braking area for the first bit. And then you've got a bit of a squirt of throttle to get you to the the second left-right, which is a much, much tighter chicane. And it's then coming out of there that you can be a little bit eager on the gas and spin the wheels up and end up in a... In turmoil, in, sp- in spinning off. Um, it
2: depends often which way you go. Sometimes yeah. you spin um, clockwise and end up coming back across the flow of traffic and potentially can put the rear end in the pit wall or in the tyres that protects the start, finish straight and the pit where the pit wall starts. On the other hand, if you spin to the driver's left, you end up in a small gravel trap there, and that's quite a tricky place to be recovered at speed as well. There's now... Ah, a whole zone, in fact, two zones being affected by yellow flags. Now, are they related? Because it's zone three. It says zone three, comma, 25. I don't know what the 25 is because we haven't got 25 zones. Might be turn 25, which is Porsche curves. And zone three is the first bit of the Mulsanne Strait. So, Zone 3 is the whole section from Tête Rouge, pretty much the apex of Tête Rouge, the right-hander, onto Ontemulsanne, down to the exit of the first chicane, which is the right and the left chicane, the Forza Motorsport chicane. And that area now affected by yellow flags. So, we've either got a couple of incidents ongoing, or again, this is all part of the pre-planned exercise from the officials <laughs>
4: All confidence is beginning to build, Johnny, well, in drivers that and that on. we are pushing in, pushing on a little bit, just, you know, trying to explore the, the limits of the cars, which we've been nowhere near this morning because of the dirty track and the evolution of the, the way that the track conditions have come to us. Now we've seen up and down the pit lane people are constantly adjusting setup, constantly adjusting dampers. Cambers, we've had everything roll bars, the works just people just fine tuning and honing their cars to get the maximum grip and efficiency out of the cars. We're now seeing people maybe you know coming to terms with and, and and confidence in their driving, and now they've refreshed their memory of the place. And now you know track conditions are where they expect them to be, and we're pushing a little bit, so that can that can bring problems as well. Um, James Hewitt, interesting. Uh, point James has just tweeted in Uh, the, the most interesting point he says when I was young an, LMP, an LMP2. When he was young, so you're, you're obviously a lot younger than we are, because um, I remember LMP2 when it was LM, LMP675, which evolved into being LMP2. Um,
2: and and LMP900 was LMP1, if Yes,
4: yeah, that's right. Which, I mean, the weight, weights-wise, we haven't gone too far away from that, but um, the, what he mentions is... Oh, was,
2: was the numbers in that LMP title, the weights, there? Yes,
4: yeah, yeah. LMP900... I
2: never knew that. ...was
4: 900 kilograms. LMP675 was the maximum weight.
2: Right, of an LMP2 for five yes. was twos and 900s was
4: ones. Yeah, minimum weight, I should say.
2: Yeah. There you go. Minimum
4: weight, yeah, 900 kilograms with the LMP. So the Audi 8s were um, 900 kilograms yeah. or, or got down to 900 kilograms. Um, LMP2 was set to be pointless in the early days. Less than three would finish every race and they were very slow. And now look at it. Yeah, absolutely, James. Now look at it. You know what? For me... For me, Le Mans, the Le Mans 24 hours is four races in one because we've got four classes yes. in the one race. And for me, I when I spoke to Anthony Davison this morning, I mentioned the word pure. And what I mean by that is it's pure in the sense that you've got a driver pressing two pedals. All right, these days they use paddle shifts, but you've got paddle shifts working a gearbox and an engine. You've got no peripherals. You've got no lift and coasting. You've got no um you know retrieving energy we've got no hybrid systems that you've got to concern yourself with and quite frankly I don't know I do not know how those guys in those Toyotas manage those systems whilst they're trying to hit their apexes and braking points it's just phenomenal um for me lmp 2 that that that's a pure formula isn't it you know proper fast race cars carrying lots of aero lots of grip um and we've got, you know, try try and pick a winner out of that lot. At the moment, heading LMP2 is the is is the Anthony Davison car, the number thirty one uh, Dragon Speed, Pastor Maldonado's at the wheel, three thirty two two. 4.4 four is the quickest time there, and then second in LMP2, they're ninth and tenth overall, by the way. Car 39, that's the uh, the graph Racing car of uh, Tristan Comedy at the wheel of that car, 3.32.292. Look at how close that is, about a tenth of a second in it, and you will see that all race long.
2: Yes. Oh yeah, Uh, but also the thing I like about LMP2 is the yin and yang you get depending on which driver is in there because there has to be a silver driver in each of the LMP2 lineups so therefore if you've got a stint where it's platinum and gold versus a silver naturally the lesser experienced driver is going to drift off the pace of these guys that have had Formula 1, Formula 2 experience and uh, elsewhere at the upper echelons of motorsport Formula E champion Jean-Éric Vern. But then when it switches around and the cars that maybe have a 30-second advantage then have their silver driver installed, then you get the chase as the platinum and the golds get on board and they have to hunt down then the race leader. And they don't all utilise their different rated drivers at the same time. So you get this naturally flowing race um, where overtaking is sort of intrinsic you don't need to kind of induce it with drs and all that sort of thing i hate drs i know you hate drs that's part of the reason i said it <laughs> uh, but yeah in the lmp2 and the GTE Am categories you've got this scenario where you know you have to work through your different driver combos and they're going to go at different speeds at different times in the race but theoretically they should all cross the line together at the end of yes. 24 hours yeah and it's sort of like a natural handicapping system yes. if you like yeah you know? um, and it,
4: it clearly works as well
2: It's great. I mean, there is still argument as to whether certain bronze drivers are truly bronze drivers and some of the silver drivers in the LMP2 category, should they really be silvers? But, you know... the ACO can do as much as they can to try and equalise those driver lineups as much as possible. And we've even got now in the European Le Mans series um, success ballast being worked into the equation as well so that if you do get a runaway championship leader, they're going to be effectively pegged back if they are the championship leader or if, if indeed they've had very good results in the previous two rounds. It's going to be interesting to watch that unfold through the course of 2019. It is mooted that that might even be the future of lmp one Success ballast, perhaps, as we go into hypercar or wherever we go next. Uh, But everything is so far up in the air as far as the future of the championship is concerned. Um, We just have rumour to base it all on and nothing else. I'm hoping there's something slightly more concrete to emerge from uh, from Le Mans week in terms of announcement.
4: I'm not really sure how I feel about success ballast at this level of racing. I mean... um, yeah, I've, I've run cars in, in series with success ballast, and you if it's the regular, you get your head around it and you deal with it. And um, But at this level, really, yeah, I can understand it at maybe LMP2 level, but when you're looking at manufacturers who want to come in and showcase technology, and then because they get their technology right, they're then stifled by success ballast. I'm not really sure it's right for that. Mm. I'm really not. I don't know. I have not reach. Really sh- Are we looking at a sport here or entertainment? And what is the sport? Is the sport purely about the drivers or is the sport about technology and drivers? I've always thought it's about the technology and drivers. That's the sport. It's not about just the guy behind the wheel. It's about the guys on the pit wall and it's about the designers and the engineers who have designed and built the cars.
2: Yeah, no, I agreed. Um, when you go into the customer side of... An ATO championship, i.e., you know, a manufacturer building cars for customers, Um, you've got a kind of set product there, which is the same for all. And for instance, ELMS is basically a, I think it's five Porsches versus four Ferraris. So it's not a spec category, but it has almost gone that way because they're the strongest cars now. Right, yeah. Um, And then you, you know, the, the, the variable is the driving lineup, and there are question marks from certain teams to, such a driver, such and such a driver, such and such a driver. Should they really be a bronze? Should they really be a silver? And certain driver lineups can become so strong that they start winning every race. So I think the idea is just to try and equalise the field yet further. Um, if it encourages better racing, closer racing, then fantastic. Um, Alessandro Pierre Guidi said to me the other day that it still technically should be the best car and the best driving lineup that wins. You've just got to make sure that your car is comfortable with the weight. And but that's reliant if, on, if on you've setup. got
4: if you've got cars that are pretty equal on performance, mm. then that will give you a great race. If you're then gonna
2: not if the driver combo is
4: well stronger,
2: the, is the theory.
4: If you've got two cars that are completely equal, driver lineup and everything, that that's your race. That's where your race is. If you're then gonna stifle the car that wins the race with seventy kilograms or whatever. And then the other car's going to win the race because of that, because I'm disadvantaged, because they're so equal. Yeah. Then is that, is that really balancing the performance? I think it's.
3: Well,
2: the thing is that the, the car that beats it because the first car's heavy also then gets pegged back. It's
4: kind of sharing the sweets, though, isn't it? It's kind of all oh, we're all well, just all, all here to compete. It's a bit like,
2: it's a bit like balance of performance, but done physically. If you like oh yeah I, I,
4: yeah it's balance of performance but it I'm not sure it is balance of performance because we're not equalizing you're disadvantaging success I'm yeah I'm, I'm just throwing this in I'm yeah, not yeah. necessarily believing what I'm saying even I haven't the made nature my mind of success balance is that
2: it is a disadvantage for performing well
4: yes I know And I don't really you know I'm not really sure about it. At, certainly at LMP one level
2: I think I'm with you on that. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I'm certainly with you on that because, you know, that is a, a showcase, as you say, for future road going to And, Johnny,
4: so you've got a world championship that's going to end at Le Mans starting at the, the, later on this year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this, the, the current super season world championship ends now. So if you've had a great season, you're going to go into the showcase round of the championship overweight and unable to compete. True. True. And
2: that's something that definitely needs looking at because if success balance is then adopted by the World Endurance Championship, it's actually the championship that starts to affect a one-off event. Yes. And we yes. never want. I don't think anybody wanted no, that in any class. Yeah.
4: In yeah. any class.
2: But I think. I think if they do adopt it in the WEC, you've got to say that at Le Mans everyone run, runs at base weight or you know whatever the officials call base weight once they've worked out their balance of performance. Anyway, speaking of base weight, and you were talking about 900 and 675 kilos. Uh, actually, the Toyotas had a 10 kilo increase coming in, so mm-hmm. they're at, they're running at 888 kilos for the test weekend. Remains to be seen whether they'll stay at that weight for Le Mans. But that's easy for us to remember: 888 kilos is the minimum weight for each of the Toyotas, and uh, they're doing very nicely, thank you. 321.8 for car number eight. It's all the eights, isn't it? 322.04 car number seven. They are separated by a whisker, more than a tenth and a half. 0.152. And there are ten seconds to go of the first four hours. We're about to, therefore, see the chequered flag and go into our first pause of the day. And, in fact, the first car to receive the chequered flag... Looks to be Sebastian Buemi who crosses the line now. No improvement in time, and Kamui Kobayashi has just gone out. Actually, I'm, sh- I'm hoping the light at the end of the pit lane was still green. I'm sure it was, and in fact, yes, Buemi is somewhere now in the final sector. But the checkered flag displayed then at the end of the morning session here at the Le Mans test for 2019. You're tuned to 91.2 FM. Mobile One, Radio Le Mans for the 2019 edition of this single-day event. And already home with the chequered flag seen is Sebastian Buemi. That looks like it'll be the fastest time then to be carried on into the second portion of the day, a 321.875. And getting perilously close to that, uh, Kamumi Kobayashi and Mike Conway and their teammate in the number seven car, Uh, Jose Maria Lopez and both or rather all three drivers have had a go behind the wheel of the number 7 car through the course of the morning we've also had Buemi, Nakajima and Alonso cycled through the number 8 car fastest of the LMP1 non-hybrids car just crossing the line in fact Gustavo Menezes in the Rebellion Racing number 3 that's the car he shares with Nat Berton and Thomas Laurent, they're all gold-rated drivers, and that number three rebellion will end the first portion of the day, third fastest but crucially fastest of the LMP1 privateers, the time of 3.23.926 and that is how much quicker than the next car, half a second faster than the SMP racing car of Vitaly Petrov, the car he shares with Michaela Lotion and Stoffel Van Dorn Van Dorn Put in a very good lap. It may well have even, even been his time at 324.389. Either way, the number 11 car will finish the first half of the day in fourth position. Ahead of Stefan Sarazan in the number 17 SMP Racing BR1. Sixth position for the number one Rebellion Racing car of Entre Lotre, together with his teammates Bruno Senna and Neil Gianni. Seventh fastest, the number 10 Dragon Speed uh, BR1 of Henrik Hedman and teammates Ben Hanley and Renga van der Zander. That's the Gibson-powered BR Engineering, BR1, remember? And eighth fastest, eighth of the lmp ones the Baikolis Racing, Tom Tom Dillman-driven number four car. And Tom still out there, about to either take the chequered flag or pull into pit lane. He does the latter, in fact, And car number four now heading down Pit Road. But all eight LMP1s have managed to get to the sharp end of the timing screen. It took one or two slightly longer, i.e. the 11 and the number 10 cars. But they are there now. So that's your top eight. Next up, all 20 of the LMP2s that sit from ninth overall down to 28th overall. The fastest car, Philippe Albuquerque, leaving that very, very late indeed... Of course, he wasn't here at nine o'clock this morning, having made the trip from Detroit. But the number twenty-two United Autosports car now fastest, a Ligier out top three thirty-two point two is the time set on lap forty of forty-one. Therefore, outperforming Pastor Maldonado in the number thirty-one Dragon Speed car, uh, and the time from that car earlier on was a three thirty-two point two. But again, that was an improvement, fairly late in the day, lap 38 of 44. Also improving on lap 38 of 47 was the Graf number 39 car, Tristan Gomendy. And to make it three different uh, LMP2 chassis manufacturers in the top four, a Delara still there. Nick de Vries driving the Racing Team Nederland number 29 car. I'm feeling that was a Gide van der Garde time though, 3:32.628 to put that uh, uh, 29 LMP2 car fourth. Fastest fifth quickest in LMP2, the number 48 Edex Sport Car Paul Lafargue, last to drive that machine, and it is fourth, sorry, fifth fastest in LMP2. In GT Pro, uh, Corvette topped the times. That must have been a very late time as well. It was on the final lap from Tonio Garcia, a uh, 355.704. ..for the number 63 Corvette, faster than Billy Johnson's number 66 Ford Chip Ganassi UK GT, a 355.728. Third fastest, number 91, the Porsche GT Team 911 RSR of Jimmy Bruni, a 355.8. And then, of an course, a Ferrari, fourth fastest, number 51, that car of James Collado. So top four GT Pros, Corvette, Ford, Porsche and Ferrari. So not a bad mixture. Where do the other manufacturers sit, though, in GT Pro? The best BMW M8 finished 14th fastest. Uh, Gusto Farfa seemed to be at the wheel of that car for a long, long time. It set a 358.665 on, I think, lap 20. Seven, No, 27 laps completed, I beg your pardon. Can't tell you at this time when that lap was done. And the best Aston Martin, 15th fastest. So right behind the Fafas time in the BMW, Maxime Martin, the fastest of the two Vantage AMRs, at 359.170, puts it 15th fastest. And in GTE AM, didn't mention this at the time, but I had spotted that the JMW Motorsport Ferrari 488 of Jeff Siegel became the fastest car in AM, number 84, with a three fifty nine. .455. Five. Faster than in second position, the spirit of race, Francesco Castellacci Ferrari 488. It's actually four Ferraris at the sharp end of GTE-AM. So... Uh 84 Ferrari, 54 Ferrari, 57 Ferrari, the car guy racing entry, come later car doing the time. And the 70 MR racing Ferrari, Olivier Beretta last to drive that car, doing a 359.931. Again, very, very late in the session. And finally, number 88, the Dempsey Proton Racing GTE AM entry of Giorgio Roda, a 4 minutes point two, So a flurry, ...of fastest times of the day so far coming in right before the lunch break. An indication of how much grip is now on offer, therefore, on the track... ...and also how brave people are starting to become. We will give everyone uh, a period off now for the lunch break. Don't forget, though, that uh, in the lunch break itself... The, there is a chance to hear the Inside the Silverstone Experience show. Silverstone, again, um, the uh, backer of the hourly updates, uh, the Silverstone Circuit being the home of British motor racing, of course, and great to have Silverstone as part of our broadcast this year as part of uh, 91.2 FM Mobile One Radio Le Mans for the second year in a row. There will also be a road test that you can hear in the interval between now now and the time that we restart, which will be just before 2pm Central European Summer Time. You can do the adjustments uh, wherever you are around the world. If you go to the RadioLeMond.com website, then the schedule there at the bottom of the page will do the calculations for you, assuming you've set your laptop or device time correctly. That is us done for now. But uh, my thanks to Joe Bradley for all your hard work down in the pit lane. Uh, we'll give him a few more lozenges and he'll be ready to go again for another four hours in beautiful sunshine here at Le Mans. But you're tuned to 91.2 FM Radio Le Mans. Don't go anywhere. Obviously get some food and drink on board. But be sure to be back into position, whether it be at track side or indeed elsewhere around the world next to a radio speaker. To hear more from Mobile One Radio Le Mans. With the further coverage of this year's test day live from Circuit de la Sartre. We'll join you later on today.
1: This program is a radio show limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLamont.com.